Take your Bibles, if you would, please, and turn with me to the book of Romans, uh, Romans chapter 1. As we address the topic that is very real, yet subtle, uh, very uh, broad, yet uh, truncated in so many ways, and as we look at the return of paganism, we're going to tie it to a passage of Scripture and a number of things that have and are taking place in our culture today that remind us that in spite of the impact of Christianity, in spite of the realities uh, that took place in, in that early church and the influence on the culture, there's still a paganism that has existed uh, from the beginning of time. It seems to me that as you reflect upon the true nature of paganism, you begin to understand that not only has uh, paganism uh, remained a constant from the beginning of time, it seems to have become by default uh, the view of the Western world today. And it seems like we have gone backwards 2,000 years to a place that uh, Christianity rescued the culture from in the context of paganism. As we reflect upon this paganism today, certainly much of this can be uh, reflected on in the, in the celebration and the importance, seemingly, of Halloween and our culture today. We're not going to spend a lot of time there with Halloween, if you would. We will revisit this again in the chapel during ABF hour if you'd like to join us, but, but I want to talk about paganism in its basic form and, and what we're up against as a culture and why you feel so alienated day by day by day in our culture. There's a reason for that, and it is this reaction or rejection of the Judeo-Christian ethos and a return to a pagan pre-Christian rites and rituals, in fact, a way of looking at all of life. Now, paganism comes from the Latin word paganist, and it simply means non-Christian. When the gospel came into effect and the birth of the church took place, and the gospel was being spread from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria and unto the other parts of the earth, much of what Christianity was addressing and dealing with was the entrenched paganism of that culture, even the paganism, polytheism, of the empire of Rome. As we reflect upon that reality, Christianity began to speak into every area of life and existence. Christianity wasn't just a belief in a Savior, it was all-encompassing worldview, a worldview that defined all of what existed by divine origin, a worldview that understood that God created in the beginning, a world that held to some of the, the tenets of of the Scriptures as they unfolded from that early church onward, and, and the church would speak into the culture and combat directly some of the pagan practices, rituals, and realizations of that day. Let's, let's take sexuality, if you would. In that Roman culture and influence even through paganism, women did not have a predominant position in the Roman culture. They were looked at as possessions. They did not have a voice. They were looked at less than, and, and Christianity spoke directly to that because of the divine image of God and man, and it brought about some seismic changes in people's thinking over the course of uh, generations, in fact, centuries. But it seems like today we've lost much of that ground. It seems like today we have returned to a place where we are practicing or at least thinking in a pre-Christian kind of fashion as a culture. I also believe that some of that has infiltrated the church. We'll address some of that in the ABF hour. But in particular in our culture, it seems like paganism has returned with a vengeance. What I'd like to do this morning is talk about this paganism, some of its primary tenets. Paganism is a very difficult thing to, to nail down. It is a broad a multi-kind of viewpoint, and yet there are some things that all pagan beliefs have in common. And as we address some of those neo-pagan beliefs, again, hard to nail down, we will find these five principles fairly prevalent in all of the pagan positions 
and the paganism of our culture today, and you will see that it is in direct opposition to the nature of the Creator God and the Judeo-Christian ethos. There is a spiritual battle that plays out, and it has played out for some 2,000 years between pre-Christian paganism and the Christian worldview and the gospel. And it seems that for a period of time in Western civilization, uh, the Judeo-Christian ethos, maybe not Christianity proper, thou shalt be born or must be born again, but, but Christianity, in, in a nutshell, Christian Judeo ethos and, and, and worldview prevailed. We don't live in that culture anymore. In fact, the truth is some of you still do, and that's why you don't understand what's happening in the world today. It is tied to many of these pagan beliefs, and I will suggest to you that we have paganism in the highest forms of government, in the highest uh, celebrations of, of churches and denominations, and even in our own personal lives. And we must guard against this. We are warned both in Old and New Testament to, to guard our hearts against such paganism, but it has returned with a vengeance. We will define it. We will show you why it is back again from Romans chapter 1, and we will not address what to do about it other than stay the course. Remember, paganism is ancient beliefs steeped in mysticism, pre-Christian ways of thinking about the world. What addresses those pre-Christian ways of paganism is biblical Christianity and the ancient words of Scripture that were combating some of these pagan beliefs so steeped in the Roman Empire. Now, important to, to clarify the Roman Empire um, wasn't entirely and completely pagan by the way we might think it to be. They were polytheistic in, in, in nature, but, but there were some tenets of this available. Uh, some of the elites in the Roman culture looked down on pagans as being simple people who believed in some magic and, and mysticism, and that's really the realities of life even today. But it's important that you know these things. It's important that you're able to identify these things. It's important that you integrate some of these notions into your thinking so that you can discern the culture and know where someone is coming from. Is it a Judeo-Christian worldview? Or are they holding a pagan worldview, and why does it matter? I suggest to you it matters greatly. And we're in the midst of a spiritual resurgent battle with the pagan pre-Christian elements of some 2,000 and plus years ago. Well, all of that to say this, we win. And the gates of hell will not prevail against the church of Jesus Christ. But as soldiers, we have to be equipped for the war. We must be able to identify the enemy, and we must draw upon our armor and resources of engagement, primarily the Word of God, to address the pagan return and the contemporary society that we find ourselves in today. Pray with me, please. Father, I thank You again for the opportunity to gather together here. And although this is a, a difficult and maybe even depressing topic, it is critically important in a number of different ways, and particularly to our children, as we see paganism entrenched in the education system and in, in programming and, and social media and in so many different areas, an attempt to indoctrinate our children, help us to be discerning Help us to understand the warnings of Scripture. Help us to be able to detect the tenets of paganism. Give us the courage of the first century church, speaking contrary to the culture, a battle of spiritual worldviews for the sake of the gospel, with a reminder that in the end of the day we are fighting the fight, but the battle belongs to the Lord and the gates of hell will not prevail against His church. Make us faithful to the truth, faithful to the gospel, 
and even more importantly, faithful to our living that gospel in an increasingly pagan age. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. There are several different things that are consistently evident in pagan worldviews and the culture in which we live. One of the first things in ancient Rome in particular, but, but in all pagan realities, is this notion of polytheism, this belief in many kinds of gods. But specifically, uh, to our culture and to paganism in general, is this notion of pantheism, this notion that God is everything and everything is God. So God is a tree, and God is a rock, and God is the sky, and God is water, and God is the sea. And, and we find all of this in, in the polytheism of Rome and in the pantheism that seems to have made a return in our culture today. This belief in many gods blurs the distinction of a transcendent God one God, a creator God, and confuses Him with so many other gods, small g, in our culture today. And this pantheism and even panentheism that believes that there is a supreme God and yet He is a part of everything in an existence is this notion that somehow we can reconcile Christianity and paganism. It simply can't be done. There is paganism pre-Christian, and then there is Christianity, and now there is return to neo-paganism and some of those same beliefs and practices. And what highlights many of those practices is this notion of polytheism or this pantheism that somehow believes that God is everything and everything is God. And that leads to some radical conclusions, and that's why we listed that first. One of the radical conclusions that pantheism leads us to is this environmental eco kind of paganism where all of a sudden the tree and the rock and, and the environment are as important as human beings that are created in the image of God. Now, I'm not here, I'm not here to undermine that God created everything and it was very good. I'm not here to undermine that at all. But it's one thing to acknowledge the beauty of creation and the Creator God. It is another thing entirely to worship the environment as opposed to the Creator of that environment. And what we have in neo-paganism in its return today is this radical environmentalism that worships nation or, or nature itself and moves away from in fact, eliminates altogether a notion of a transcendent God. We live in a secular culture who has simply decided to cut God out of the equation. And if God is out of the equation, the only thing that exists is what we know and see, what we can sense, and that is our environment. And that has led to, in our culture today, the worship of science. It is science that determines truth, a science that rejects the supernatural in its naturalism and says there is no God. Whatever we learn, just follow the science. Prick your conscience a little bit. How often do we hear that today? There are some pagan overtones to that. There are some pagan overtones of this environmental focus. It was unfathomable to me is that we can kill children, but we must save the dolphins. What is wrong with that picture? That is paganism. That is paganism. We must reject that, and, and, and it doesn't mean to reject the environment. We must be good stewards. But everybody listen. I've said it before. You've had a chuckle. I'm going to say it again. Laugh if you wish. The planet does not depend on you for existence. Our Heavenly Father has put it into place and will dissolve it at His choosing. We don't preserve what God has created. He preserves what He has created. But He's entrusted us with the care of that environment and creation, and we must take that seriously. But there's a difference between taking our stewardship seriously and rejecting a transcendent God for the worship of natural things. Paganism, 
rejects a transcendent God for polytheism and pantheism and, and is focused, particularly to eco-paganism, on nature itself. When we focus on nature itself or natural elements, it often and always leads to sex, sex and gender issues and a progressive sexual ethic or ethos. What happens if there is no God, then His image stamped on every human being is removed from the equation. So we are left with a mere body, not an image of God in which we are to reflect that in every aspect of life, but just a body. And we have watched a culture sacralize the body. What does that mean? Instead of finding the sanctity or the sacredness of humanity and the divine image that every person is created in, we remove that divine image and we sacralize the body. We sacralize sexuality. Sex and the body become sacred in lieu of that human personhood and identity that reflects the nature of God. And everything then becomes about sex and gender identity, and we must celebrate sex and gender identity, rejecting, of course, that, that human reality that our nature is impacted and, and shaped in the likeness of God, and thereby sex becomes the most highest priority in human existence. This is the culture that we live in. And by rejecting a transcendent creator, we can also reject male and female created he them and take sex and gender in a malleable kind of way and make it anything we want to be. And therefore, it is evil to speak against the LBGTQXYZ movement because that's sacred. No, it's not sacred. Our bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit of God. And our bodies, our humanity, is stamped with the image of God. That is what makes us important and separates us from the rest of the environment and makes humankind special. To jettison that, we can define our identity not being created in the image of God, but by our sex or our gender or our race and etc. and etc. and etc. This goes on and on and on. Sex and gender are always critical and important when it comes to pagan practices. And then, of course, human nature. And rejecting a transcendent God and the notion that human nature, humanity, and personhood is stamped in the image of God, it sees anthropology from a naturalistic perspective, and instead of being fearfully and wonderfully made, we are products of our environment. One of the things that happens is when we become products of our environment in naturalism, we own no responsibility for anything that we do. I can't help it. I'm this or I'm that or this happened or this happened, and it absolves us of any personal responsibility for anything that we do in life because I am simply a victim of my environment. Do you see how that plays out in our culture today? Nobody has to own anything. Empty the prison. It wasn't their fault. It is everywhere in our culture today. And finally, in paganism, divine knowledge is achieved through personal experience. There is no absolute truth. There is no authoritative truth for all people of all times of every generation. No, divine truth is my truth rooted in my personal experience. And that's why in paganism, particularly in the highest echelons of our government, one can claim to be a Roman Catholic and champion and celebrate the killing of children. Because religion it's defined by my own personal belief system and experience. Belief is not transcendent above my experience. It is dependent upon my experience. 
Many of the pagan practices in pre-Christianity were to experience the divine, the mystic, the magic, the unexplainable. And I believe that that is and has returned with a vengeance. So, I'm going to dabble a little bit, and I know some of you hate this. I'm not going to apologize. I'm going to dabble anyhow. This is why voting matters. You're voting for a worldview. You say, well, I wouldn't vote for any of them. Indeed, I'm with you. But I would vote for one over the other. And much of that comes down to paganism versus a biblical worldview, the sanctity of life, the sanctity of marriage, including the sanctity of male and female, and the sanctity of personal responsibility that has been jettisoned in a culture, and it has not proven to be a good experiment. Look around. Man is inherently evil, not good. And the evil that a man does is not because of his environment, it is because he is deeply sinful in every way, capable of heinous things. This is a battle of worldviews. This is a battle of paganism versus Christianity. And you would think that as we look at this and, and the history of Christianity, that most would say, hey, wait a second, something is, something is wrong here. They would be able to see the forest for the trees and know that the world's gone crazy today. Paul tells a different story in Romans chapter 1, beginning of verse 18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. It implies that truth is available, and they willingly choose to turn away or suppress that truth. And the suppression of truth always results in ungodliness and unrighteousness that has consequences, and that consequence is the wrath of God. Verse 19, for what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. Let's take this list that we just went through. What is plain? It is plain, and it was in the initial stages of science and even in the 1800s with science, that there must be a God. There has to be a God. None of this could just spontaneously happen. There is a God. And yet now we live in a world that celebrates champions science and no need for God. This is exactly what's transpiring in the context of Romans chapter 1. You reflect back and you look at that divine knowledge. Well, if there is in fact divine knowledge and there is one transcendent God, knowledge would have to come from that God. Yes, you're, you're getting the picture. You see how this kind of plays out? It is plain to them they know this to be true. Have you noticed recently, even in the political discourse, that all of a sudden they're able to define what a female is? For a while, we weren't sure. It kind of goes back and forth. It depends on what what I'm arguing. Your eyes don't deceive you. Male and female created he them. You say, oh, that's too simplistic, Pastor Jim. No, that's too biblical. Sorry. Male and female. Has sin impacted the expression of that? Without a doubt. Without a doubt. But any normal human being can realize there's difference. There's a difference. There's a reason for that difference. Well, as you go down through that whole list, you can see that that the truth is known to them. It is plain to them. It is not a, a redemptive kind of truth. It is simply pointing out that there's a God and you're not Him. Simple as that. There is a God, and you're not Him. Redemptive truth comes through Christ and, and the teachings of Scripture. But a truth and an awareness of, of theism, particularly Christian theism, is plain to everybody, but they've chosen to suppress the truth. For the invisible attributes, namely His eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived. The heavens declare the glory of God ever since the creation of the world, clearly seen, and the things that have been made. 
nature itself isn't to be worshipped. Nature itself points to a transcendent Creator who is to be worshipped for the gift of the things that we see in nature. You follow me? Panentheism says that I can experience God in a sunset. Well, no. You experience God in a personal relationship with the Son, Jesus Christ, as He's revealed Himself in Scripture. You may be inspired. You may be awestruck at a sunset, but it is pointing you to a divine Creator. It is not revealing God to you in a deeply spiritual sense. As you continue down through this text, it says, for although they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks to Him, but they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. They became futile in their thinking. Now, why did they become futile in their thinking? And this is critically important. It's not because they are ignorant of the spiritual realities and spiritual warfare. It's not that they are ignorant of the design of creation pointing to an objective, transcendent Creator. It's not because we're in a post-Christian culture. It's not because there is no semblance of a Judeo-Christian worldview anymore. It's not because they have been deceived. They have rejected what God has made plain to them, and because they rejected God, they became foolish in their thinking. The rejection of God is not merely a spur of the moment, heat of the instant flouting of His authority, but a considered and measured act of disobedience. Do you understand what the commentator is saying about the context? That's exactly what God is saying. You knew, you suppressed, and there are consequences to that. This is an absolute total rejection of a transcendent Creator God by a culture at large that is steeped in paganism and is lived out in application every night on the news. In every political debate that we have today, sometimes even in the way we have chosen to live our lives. People are not basically good, nor are they victims of their environment. God has clearly revealed Himself, and man has said, not interested, not interested, not interested. The heart of sin and disobedience as again, it's right. It's a flagrantly deliberate and continuing act of violence to the truth, a truth that is revealed to them by the stamp of the divine Creator and the creation in which the heavens declare the glory of God. It's all but non-existent in some of modern evangelicalism today. We feel sorry for people. How could they believe such a thing? This is a willful act, according to Paul in Romans chapter 1. You have a choice to make. It can be paganism or it can be biblical Christianity, but it can't be both of those things. There can be no syncretizing of those things together. For although they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks to Him, and as a result became futile in their thinking. You say, how can, you th- how can someone think that way? When you abandon the notion of a transcendent God and absolute truth, you can think any way you want to think. It's one of the tenets of paganism. My personal experience defines truth. And there is no conscience against such truth because it's only your conscience. And if I define truth, my truth is true truth least to me, and it ought to be for everybody else, but that's a circular argument that is incoherent at best. Not only did they become futile in their thinking, their foolish hearts were darkened. Somebody turned the light out. 
and they became fools. Most literally, beings who rejected the notion of God. Douglas Moo in his commentary, the book of Romans, reminds us that every person is without excuse. Because every person, whether a first century pagan or a 20th century materialist, has been given a knowledge of God and has spurned that knowledge in favor of idolatry and all its varied manifestations. All, therefore, stand under the awful reality of the wrath of God and are in a desperate need of the justifying power of the gospel of Christ. We will finish with that, but it's how Paul begins this whole section in Romans chapter 1, 16 and 17. We will never come to grips with the importance of the gospel or to be motivated as we should to proclaim it until the sad truth has been fully integrated into our worldview. We are in a battle, and the world is depraved. And we must combat this paganism that rejects a transcendent creator, God, who's provided the gospel, the good news to all men. And they rejected that truth. They rejected it so much that they were still a being created in the image of God and designed for worship. But what happens when you stop worshiping a transcendent creator of God? There is nothing left than to worship the creation itself, nature itself. And isn't that exactly where we find ourselves today? And the most extreme view of this Green New Deal you understand that the creation of the environment and nature as opposed to the worship of a transcendent God has dire consequences. Do you understand that the Green New Deal is causing famine throughout the world? People are going to die because of this, and it's becoming more and more a reality. And that's always what happens. The worship of creation rather than the Creator always ends in death, not just physical death, but spiritual death. And that is the essence of paganism. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. And therefore, God gave them up in the lust of their heart to impurity to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the Creator who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions, the sacralizing of the sexual components of the body. And considering sex and gender the highest reflection of our personhood as opposed to the image of God stamped in each and every one of us has led to these dishonorable passions. Their women exchange natural relationships for those who are contrary to nature. Why, why would Paul single out women in that text? In the Roman culture in particular, lesbianism was frowned upon. It was unthinkable. Now, in their depraved mind, homosexuality really didn't present that big a problem to them, but lesbianism did. They are, they're somehow rare in that Roman Empire, and yet Paul says, hey, listen, this is the result of turning away from God. And the men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another, men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. What due penalty? 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral 
nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you, Paul said. You were them. You were the pagan. But you were washed, and you were sanctified, and you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and the Spirit of our God. Are you thankful for that this morning? Then you're in a battle. And the battle is between that truth and the paganism that dominates this land and the naturalism that cuts out God from the picture, from the highest offices of our government to our higher institutes of learning, our colleges and universities, and now even as low as kindergarten, we have turned the world upside down and returned to paganism and drag queen uh, hours of, of, of storytelling, and you say, what in the world happened? Paganism has come back with a vengeance. Not because we're more enlightened, because we are more darkened, because we reject the notion of a transcendent creator, God. And there are consequences to that. As Paul lists those consequences, he provides hope for us in the book of Romans through the gospel itself. In fact, when it comes to sex and gender, that seems to be the pinnacle of paganism that permeates and dominates the news cycle today, dominates political discourse, dominates education, whether it's in the highest of universities and even to the kindergarten. Too many of us as Christians have our head in the sand believing somehow it doesn't impact us. That is a lie for the gates fell. We're in a battle. Well, surely we can find some middle ground, Pastor Jim, and what suppose might that be? What is the middle ground between a transcendent creator God and no God at all? Middle ground? There is no such thing as middle ground. It's one or the other. There is a God or He isn't a God. There is no God. He is sovereign over everything or He's not. He is who He said He was or He's a liar. There's no in-between ground here. And too many evangelicals today are trying to forge out a middle ground. Let's be open then to the LBGTQ. You can't be open to that without rejecting what Paul speaks of in this text. You can't. Yet we want to find a middle way. We just want to be civil. We want to be nice. Surely they'll like us if we're nice. How's that working out for you? It doesn't work out. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. Again, another commentary on Romans, all coming to the same conclusion. It was not simply a case of human beings distracted by something else or losing sight of God. They gave God their consideration and concluded that God was unnecessary to their living. That is, presumably God is creator with rights over His creation. Let me tell you how that plays out in evangelicalism. We begin to fashion our services and our worship and our sermonettes to appeal to the unbeliever because they are actually seeking after God when this text says they are not seeking after God at all. They're rejecting God. They're rejecting this transcendent truth. They have nothing to do with the God of all creation, and God gave them up. But it was a choice. It's almost like we're back in the garden. Eve said, I, I'm not guilty. The serpent gave it to me. Not, not my fault. And yet she willfully and Adam willfully sinned against a holy and just God, and there were consequences for that. What did he give them up to? Absolutely chilling. Filled with all manner of unrighteousness do ministry long enough, 
and you hear enough stories, nothing surprises you anymore. But in the last 10 years, I've been deeply surprised at the depravity of a culture and how quickly we've fallen from this Judeo-Christian ethos. All manner of evil, covetousness, and malice, full of envy and murder and strife and deceit and, and maliciousness. They're gossipers, slanderers, and I believe in some way summing up what he's already written in these prior 10 or 11 verses, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents. Let's talk about this inventors of evil. I know you're going to think this is political, whatever. Stacey Abrams in Georgia said, we need to stimulate the economy, go get an abortion. How evil is that? What in the world? How does, this, how does this happen? It happens when we choose to suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. It's not their fault. They're just products of their environment. It's not their fault. They're inherently good by nature. There is none good. There is none righteous. No, not one. Somehow as we engage in this battle, we have to be reminded of what Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 6, and such were some of you. You were in this place until God in His glory revealed Himself through His Spirit and rescued your soul. God did that. So we must see that this is a a redeemable culture. We must reach out and engage this culture. But if you think they're going to like that, you're a fool because they gave up on that a long time ago. They will hate you, but you must still speak that truth. For it's the truth that sets you free, and you shall be free indeed. Christianity was dominant in Western civilization. Christianity was easy. Living out our faith was no problem. Everybody held to the same Judeo-Christian ethos. That has disappeared in our culture today. And paganism has returned. And that means that you represent light, and they have chosen darkness. What happens when you enter into a dark room? turn on the light. And that light is the gospel that he speaks of as he prefaces this whole culture. So, wind down this morning, I'd remind you that this whole ideological social justice movement that we're entrenched in right now has deeply pagan beliefs built right in it, that our identity is not stamped in the image of God, but male or female or black or white or trans or gay or lesbian, etc., etc., etc. But I want you to know that the whole movement is suspect because biblical Christianity and ideological social justice are incompatible worldviews. Ideological social justice rejects the created order. It rejects humanity being defined by being stamped in the image of God and makes life all about race and ethnicity and gender and creed and color. It sacralizes those things, things to be worshipped and championed and held up, and that is contrary to biblical Christianity. Epistemologically and in our anthropology, in our ethos and morality, and in absolute truth, there is no combining biblical Christianity and ideological social justice. They are built on different platforms. I suggest to you it is Romans chapter 1. And God said, let us make man in our own image. And after our likeness, male and female created He them. Be fruitful. Fill the earth. Romans chapter 1. Their hearts became darkened. 
and they are vessels of wrath fit for destruction. Romans chapter 2, verse 1. But there's no excuse. Because the heavens declare the glory of God. Verse 32, though they know God's decree, though they know that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. The spiritual darkness and moral perversity and a world without God is limitless. This is not going to get better. This is not going to go away. You are not going to feel better about your faith and life in an increasing pagan land. So you must equip yourself to fight the good fight understand the reality of where that fight comes from, and come to grips with the reality that the Christian church now finds itself facing a new reality. The church no longer represents the central core of Western culture. Though outposts of Christian influence remain, these are exceptions rather than the rule. For the most part, the church has been displaced by the reign of secularism, and secularism is removing God from the culture. Which results in the return of paganism. Well, thanks for that, Pastor Jim. I'll sleep better tonight. Please do. Look at Romans chapter 1, verse 16. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. Let me tell you what Paul is saying there. The one who by faith is righteous shall live. The one who by faith is righteous will win. The one who by faith is righteous will be preserved in this pagan land. The one who is right, faith, the one who by faith is righteous shall be protected by the indwelling presence of God's Spirit. The one who by faith is righteous, laments the current zeitgeist and condition of the world. But in that lament, seeing all of the darkness around us, lands in a place, a place of praise where we say, O wretched man, who shall deliver me from this body of death? I thank God through Jesus Christ, my Lord. That is the gospel that changes everything. But in an increasingly pagan age, the world has grown hostile to that gospel. And are peddling these five components of paganism into the mainstream. And we would like to think it hasn't touched us because we're God's people. It has touched you. It has touched me. We're not shocked anymore when we should be devastated. We're not surprised anymore when we should be alarmed. We're doing the same things we used to do when we must do different things to protect our children and our families, God's people, by exposing the lies pagan and championing the truth of the world 
celebrating the glory of the gospel and reminding us every single day a better day is coming. You know what a lament is? What a terrible world I live in. I thank God a better day has come. That's a lament. To cry out to God your personal or cultural condition, and yet find a place of comfort and security and standing, knowing that our God is still the transcendent creator of the universe and is in control of absolutely everything, and He knows what's going on, and I imagine He's gripping the arms of the throne to stand in return for His church. But until such time, we're in a battle. May we fight the good fight and respond to the culture through a transcendent truth that sets men free in a gospel. The only gospel that brings hope to a world in darkness. Father, bless us in our hearts and in our minds to see the truth. Give us minds of discernment to define, to articulate what's happening in the culture. It seems like there are so many battles to be fought, but in reality, it's all one battle. We accept the sovereignty of a divine, transcendent Creator or we reject that. There's nothing in between. Forgive us. We're trying to forge out a way in between. There's nothing there. As we continue to fight the good fight in ever-increasing pagan land, give us the words to engage our children and our children's children, our families, Give pastors the authority and the pulpit that comes only from your word and the absolute truth of that word. Grant the gospel life, not just on our lips, but how we live. And Father, remind us that this too shall pass and a better day is coming. As we lament the condition of the culture, we champion and celebrate the grace of our God in Jesus Christ. And we take that gospel into a dark world, and we turn on the light. Take away any illusions that they will readily accept and champion that. And prepare us for the battle that lies ahead. May all the glory and the praise and the honor and ultimately the victory be yours. And only yours, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.